Most of us have heard the saying that all relationships take hard work. But how do we know when it's too much work? In this episode, Tara and I talk about the signs that our relationship is no longer just difficult, but actually becoming toxic. And the self-help tip is learning to check into our bodies as a way to give us better signals that we're feeling uncomfortable or unsafe. Thank you for joining us on Breaking Free from Narcissistic Abuse, where we talk about strategies, tips, and tricks on navigating and recovering from narcissistic abuse. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie McAvoy, a mental health clinician with over 20 years experience and author of Love You More, a graphic inside look at my experience of a toxic relationship. And I'm your other co-host, Tara Blair Ball, a certified relationship coach and abuse survivor and author of Reclaim and Recover, Heal from Toxic Relationships with a seven-step guided journal. Do you know that you were in a toxic relationship when it was going bad? Or were you completely clueless in it? You just thought this is what all relationships were like? Because honestly, I thought this is what all relationships were like. Now, I'm not saying all relationships include cheating. Let's just ignore that fact for a moment. But I thought that nitpicking and the criticalness and the, you know, the, the I don't know, even the gaslighting. I Believe it or not, gaslighting was sort of a normal experience for me too. So I didn't know that it was that bad. I just thought this was normal, that every relationship was difficult. I had never had any kind of healthy relationship before. So I really didn't have a good gauge of, is this healthy or normal? I just really didn't have a good gauge. I did know that something did not feel right. That was the best way I would have put it. I wouldn't, I would not have said my relationship felt wrong, but I would have said the relationship did not feel right. And that, that was sort of my main indicator. I felt like it must be something wrong with me that it doesn't feel normal because I've never had anything normal. So maybe I'm the problem and that's just how I'm feeling. So I really didn't have a good gauge of any kind. I assume the problem was me. And I'm trying to remember who theorized this. I think it's transactional analysis had these four positions. The first, the healthiest was, I'm okay, you're okay. And then the next is, I'm not okay, you're okay. And then there's, I'm not okay, but you're okay. And then the worst position is, I'm not okay, and you're not okay. I just sort of gone through life thinking, I'm different, I'm a little odd, and I'm not okay, but everyone else is okay. So if there's a problem, it's something that I need to work on. So that's how I kind of viewed it, is that I just need to get better at not upsetting this person. I need to get better at conflict. I need to get better. Then I was hearing that too. The reason we're having issues is because you don't speak up fast enough, or the reason we're having issues is because you never let anything go, or the reason we're having issues is just because you're reacting way too fast and you're highly sensitive. So I just figured, oh, I just need to get better at that, and then this will get better, then we'll do better. So I didn't realize, you know what, this is not okay. I didn't realize that. I just, I just thought I'm not okay. I grew up being the scapegoat. I was a problem one in the family, and uh, it was because I would speak up and be like, this is messed up. This isn't okay. And because I would say that, I I was then the one causing conflict and those kinds of things. And then the same thing was happening in my relationship. So clearly the problem was me. And I mean, the first time I went to therapy was because of the problems I was bringing the family. <laughs> so it, it wasn't surprising to like be in this role again in a relationship that, oh, I'm I'm the one like, you know, causing these problems. And a nickname my parents had for me growing up was Tara the Terrorist. Literally, that was the nickname for me. Ooh. So so I really had this belief that 
it is just me. I'm too sensitive. I react too much. I too blah, blah, blah. And so I can really relate to just feeling like, well, of course I cause this. I cause everything else. <laughs> yeah. 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 It stunned me. And it was just recently. I mean, we're just talking about a year and a half ago or so. I took a continuing education class with Lindsay Gibson. She's the best-selling author of the book, Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. And in her second book, in the book on recovery, she lists in the back what she calls a Bill of Rights. And in the continuing education course, she read those Bill of Rights out loud, along with all the various points to each one. So it's not just you have a right to your emotions. She then listed all the conditions that we have a right to have an emotional reaction to and permission to have acceptance for those emotional reactions. And I remember listening to that whole list and feeling stunned and knowing that that would have never flown in most of the relationships I had been in, that that was not acceptable. And then she said, which really hit me, she said, whenever I hear someone say, well, all relationships are hard and takes a lot of work, she said, I know I've met somebody who's had a toxic relationships, because that's not true. Mm -hmm. I was floored, absolutely floored, because my lived experience has been all relationships are a lot of hard work. Yeah. And if they're not hard work, there can sometimes be, at least for me, that idea that something must be wrong if it's not hard. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, what? Yeah, or I'd say, I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. That's what I'd say. Right, it's like, right. it's too good. I'm waiting for the shoe to drop. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, distrust, you know, like I like you don't trust it. It's it's not real or you're making up something or something's going on and someone's not telling you something. Or you're in the honeymoon phase. That's why it's good. You just haven't lived long <laughs> enough with each other. It hasn't worn off. It gets a little older. It'll get worse, you know. Right. Right. And then it'll be all this hard work. Dr. Lillian Glass wrote in the book Toxic People, and she defines a toxic relationship as a relationship in which people don't support each other, where there's conflict and one seeks to undermine the other, where there's competition, where there's disrespect and a lack of cohesiveness. I guess she was the first person to sort of define or who, who is credited with the idea of calling it toxic relationships. And I find that definition interesting because it's really not it's really not as black and white as is there abuse in the relationship or not? But this idea that there's competition and undermining and a lack of disrespect, that sort of puts several other kinds of relationships under that umbrella. Yeah, it does. In fact, would you reread that again? Kind of went right over me. Dr. Lillian Glass defines a toxic relationship as a relationship in which people don't support each other, where there's conflict and one seeks to undermine the other, where there's competition, where there's disrespect and a lack of cohesiveness. Man. Yeah, that's powerful. That's really powerful. This is what my sons say, my adult sons say to me. If they're behaving like an enemy, then they're a frenemy. They're not your friend. Mm -hmm. I've really sat on that. Sometimes I say, what does an enemy do? They want to undermine you. They want to come out ahead. They will secretly work behind the scenes against you. How many times we've let people be really close to us, like intimately close to us that are actually working against us, working actively behind our back against us. I'll never forget that I caught that my ex had sent out a meme about a woman, like the housewife with curling pins. And then she was holding a rolling pin as she's uh, tapping it outside the strip club and dragging her husband out by the ear. And then he was teasing all the women he was dating at the time about like, let, better not let your wife find out what you're up to, that I was actually the butt of the joke. Mm. The, and, and I thought, see, this is 
this is toxic. This is this is horrible. But but it even can be not that's a pretty blatant example, but it even be, can be just they they kind of like, oh, yeah, there she goes again. You know, how many times have we sat there and publicly had someone make fun of us about, yeah, she she just really likes to go to all this effort. We just smile and tolerate it. Or they tell some little nasty story on you that, you know, you don't want really told, but then it's the butt of the joke and that you just are told you should put up with it. Right. Or it, it, all these little examples of them undermining you like that, not really working with you, kind of poking fun at you, putting you down, disrespecting you. But to me, that's been normal, too. That's been my life. So I didn't think anything of it when it happened. I just figured, no, this is me. I'm not OK. That's why there's a problem. If I can get better, if I can become more OK, then this would stop. There's also this idea, too, that like if someone would make fun of me, there's this idea that you should be a good sport and learn to laugh at yourself, how that's being humble mm -hmm. and having humility. But it would never take away sort of the punch aspect of it, that the punchline was hurtful and directed at attacking me or something about me or some character trait of me. I remember from Mira Kirschenbaum's book, Too Good to Leave, Too Bad to Stay, that we talked in the previous episode. One of the questions is, do you feel like your partner genuinely likes you? And whenever my partner particularly my ex would make fun of me like it definitely didn't feel like it was coming from this loving sweet place it just felt like pent up or indirect or passive aggressive aggression it just felt like these are things that he would say to me in a mean light but now he's trying to put it in this sort of disguise of a joke in front of other people and that makes it even worse when it's something being shared about you or some joke about you is being made to these other people who are now witnesses to it, who might then bring it up to you later. Like, oh, remember when you did X, Y, Z? And it just it didn't feel like my partner was genuinely liking me whenever he did that kind of stuff. And I remember voicing that like, oh, I really don't like that. And it really makes me uncomfortable. And him being like, oh, it's just a joke. It's just a joke. Yeah. You know, and yeah, yeah. so again, you're being again, it's, in there, Tara. <laughs> right, right. So then the problem is, again, that I'm I'm overreacting or I'm being too sensitive or I'm not allowing there to be play in the relationship or like it's just. Yeah. 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 Then it's just used against us, which it was with me. Well, there's there was a really viral video on TikTok of a couple who claims they're great. They're married. They're very young, but they claim they're doing great. But it's a compilation of him knocking her down or dragging her around like yeah. they're like a rustling and teasing. And people were outraged saying, no, it looks like he's hurting her. This is who's who thinks it's funny to like put snow in somebody's face and say, ha, 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 I was just loving you. I'm just teasing you. This is all just good fun or to drag him around by the foot. It's, there's nothing cute about that. But it, it is if you both agree to it. And this is you went into this with this definition. But you can tell she's startled. It doesn't look like this was planned. She's off guard. But it's amazing to me how we've normalized that. And we don't go after the one who's doing it as though they're doing something wrong or toxic. But we leave the person who's doing the hurting alone. But rather, we focus on the person being hurt and saying, what's wrong with them? Why can't they toughen up and take it? It's interesting who we put the attention on. It's the butt of the joke who's being thin-skinned. Or it's it's the person who doesn't know how to play. We have all these ways that we sort of justify sadism, justify malicious cruelty, meanness. But, he, but he, here's the thing that I'm struck by listening to us is that the difficulty we had identifying that this wasn't acceptable. 
And I and I think it's maybe attributed directly to the fact that society says that victims should just buck up and get stronger and more resilient. And if we just accepted this behavior, then there wouldn't be a problem. Do you think there are other things that caused you not to see it? I mean, granted, I hear that your history blinded you to it. My history blinded me to it. But I also know society blinded me to it, that they said it. the problem was me. That's why there was a problem, that this is okay to do this. I talked about this in the previous episode, but just that whole idea that relationships are hard work, that whole idea that, oh, this is just normal. This is just what you do. You work hard. And that's just normal. And I didn't have any concept of it being any different. I really didn't. All of my relationships had been hard work. But I do think that that societal viewpoint of every relationship has its peaks and valleys, has its ups and downs. It's always hard work. And I think that we can latch on to that as a way to justify, minimize, or deny the fact that the relationship really is too much. It's too much hard work. It's too exhausting. It's too draining. We're sacrificing ourselves it just ends up being just another excuse. Yeah. And then it's often thrown into our face if we do leave that you didn't work hard enough. You know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. I think we do participate in our own blindness. I agree with you. I think our inability to see it is part of the problem because we're our first line of defense. And if we can't see it, then we're not going to certainly not see it at any other level. I didn't see it. I mean, if you met me when I first was in that first marriage, yeah, uh, Brad wasn't the easiest person to live with, and he he gaslit me, and I was the butt of the joke, and things like that. But I didn't see that as a problem. I just saw that I was the problem. So you can't address something if you don't see that it's not good. I think that's why it hit me so hard when Dr. Gibson said, "Whenever I hear someone say all relationships are hard work, I know they've been in a toxic relationship." And I thought, "Up, oh, you just identified me. I guess I've been in a <laughs> series of toxic relationships and didn't realize it." You know. Yeah. So part of my recovery has been to say, if I'm not feeling free to be myself, if I can't be safe to say what I need, and if there's not this reciprocity and this balance, if I don't feel respected, then I'm really not interested in this relationship. Mm. No judgment to the other person. I'm just not interested. But it's been hard for me to come into that place. And I still struggle to spot. I have to do this almost like this mental checklist, almost like get outside of myself, look at it at a map level and say, do people who are respectful say these things. Do people who care about us do these actions? Just sort of like, no, that's not kind. No, that that's not okay. Because in the moment when I'm living it, I'm so used to it, I don't even know it. Don't even know that it's happening. Mm -hmm. And I think some of it too is I think a lot about my physical connection to my body too. And I don't know if, if it's talked about enough, but how I felt in that last relationship was... Like I was constantly ill. I constantly was sleep deprived. I, I constantly just didn't feel good in my own body and did a lot of things to disconnect myself from my body. I would overeat. I would undereat. I, I would do these things that were pretty abusive to myself. And I find that that's incredibly different today. I don't do those things. And I don't feel uncomfortable connecting with my own body and being aware of how I'm feeling. And that's not to say that I don't get mad at my partner. Like my husband, like he will do things that will make me mad. Like that's that's a normal part of a relationship. And we've had lows just like any relationship. But the difference I find is that the lows are few and far between. And 
it's not a general pervasive sense. And it, the lows are not so bad that I dread them coming and wait for them to come and know that they're going to come. It's just a very different feeling being in a different kind of relationship. And yes, our relationship has taken work. My husband had a pattern of gaslighting out of immaturity. Like me having feelings was really uncomfortable for him. He wasn't used to somebody expressing their feelings to him. And so it was something that we worked on in the early parts of our relationship and something that still does come up. Like he'll tell me I sometimes I'm being too sensitive, but he's really learned how to be a better partner. And it's not that I'm too sensitive. It's that he doesn't want to deal with those kinds of things. I don't take it personally today. I don't see it the way I, I would have used to because it's not me being too sensitive. It's me literally telling you that this is bothering me because it is. And that's OK. He isn't necessarily as comfortable expressing himself for that. So because he sort of shuts himself down, he might try to shut me down, which doesn't work today. Like <laughs> if it would have worked on old Tara, but not today, Tara. And it's it's a huge difference. And I think it's important that hard work should never feel like drudgery, it should never feel like we're sacrificing ourselves or putting ourselves on an altar and cutting off pieces of ourselves. And I think that's a huge exactly. difference in how we look at it. It should not feel like work every single day. That's how it did in my previous yeah. relationship. I was always trying to police my tone or 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 be hyper vigilant to what he was thinking or feeling so I could try to avoid a fight or a conflict. And that was a lot of work. Just based on how I was, did I soar in that relationship? Did I did I go and pursue like long-term dreams and goals and desires? No, because I was just trapped, stuck trying to sort of manage and caretake how he was doing because that would make me feel safe. I've witnessed a little bit of your relationship with your husband. And one of the things I love about your relationship is there's such deep, deep trust that you can tell the two of you really have each other's backs that allows you the freedom to show up. I mean, to truly show up as yourself. I think that's incredible. I, I love that. Something you said was super powerful. And I, I want to circle back to it because I think, you know, you talked about what it feels like in your body when you're in that relationship. I think it's a great way for us to monitor. I know how I feel when I, when I start to feel, I feel nervous. I start to feel like um, uh, careful, like I get edgy and, and I'm afraid to say things and I can't sort of express myself fully. So I kind of curb what I reveal and don't reveal. So when I sense that in myself, I know, ooh. This relationship is confining me. There's something going wrong. It's it's often my first alert. I think that's a great kind of way for us to all learn to tune into this is to recognize what it feels like to be truly connected to yourself. Maybe find a moment where we feel that. Maybe it's a moment on our own. Maybe it's when we're in the car uh, lip syncing to music or I don't know, but to find a moment where we feel one with ourselves, and then to use that as an indication of whatever we're losing, or that it's like we're feeling constricted or uptight, it can be a, a very good warning signal that you're in a relationship where it feels dangerous, or at least not safe enough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was thinking about that a lot the other day. What happens when we don't feel safe emotionally, physically, and the impacts it has on us? Because it can be an aspect of our partner that we don't feel safe. And you and I talk a lot about that, that it could be that our partner does that. But there's also the other aspect of how do we make ourselves feel safe in that relationship? Yeah. And for me, who has struggled a lot with codependency is that I purposefully 
wouldn't share what I wanted to feel because I would even even though I had no history to back it, I just felt like, oh, I can't I can't be authentic in this relationship because they're going to reject me. But then I had never given them the opportunity to do that. So I had no evidence to support Mm -hmm. that they would reject me if I was truly myself. And so it's about that. Mm -hmm. There is that safety piece that our partner can be contributing. But how are we creating safety for ourselves as well? And part of the safety for me is to say to myself, no matter what comes out of this, I still will be okay. For me to know I have my I can I have my own back. Yeah. So that so that I can I can show up. And if they can't handle me showing up, okay, that hurts. I don't want that. It's not my ideal wish for this relationship. But but I know that I will be okay at the end of the day. I know that if I'm alone, it's not the end of the world. And then that gives me the freedom to take the risk. You know, you're right. Often we we don't take the risk because we're measuring the relationship so much. We may measuring it wrong, but we also don't take the risk because we're trying to like curb the consequences that there could be. But if we already go to the end and ask ourselves, well, what is the worst case scenario? Eh, it's survivable, not desirable, but at least it's survivable. Then it gives us more freedom to really show up, you know, see what happens. Yeah. And then that comes back to boundaries again. If I am going to be OK, if this relationship isn't here anymore, and then I can feel safe enough to set and enforce boundaries. I feel like it has to be impossible to feel safe if we can't even set and enforce boundaries. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Totally. Yeah, you're making me think of the boundaries that I should have set earlier that I didn't. But yeah, but I didn't because I didn't want the fight because I knew it would be bad. But but because at the end of the day, I didn't know I'd be all right. I didn't know I'd be all right. Yeah. And then that paralyzed me. Yeah. I saw that for myself, too. I wouldn't be all right. I wouldn't be okay. The relationship was somehow tied up to if someone else chose me, then I clearly was worthy. But then if I wasn't in that relationship anymore. If I was single, then I wasn't worthy. And so there was a lot wrapped up in maintaining that relationship and and staying in it. Today's self-help tip is connecting to our body as a way to check how safe we feel when we're around someone else. So we talked about this earlier in the episode, but I think it's important and valuable to think about how are we feeling about any situation, any relationship, and really doing some check-ins. So emotions usually show up first physically. So, for example, if we're scared, we might find ourselves tensing up, sort of curling inward with our body. We might have a bad sensation on our stomach versus if we feel light, if we feel relaxed, comfortable. And that can be something that you start to look at and judge when you're around someone in a relationship, for example. Do I feel tense? Am I clenching? What's my jaw doing? How am I holding myself? Versus do I feel relaxed? Can I lean back? Do I feel comfortable? Getting into a habit of doing those check-ins with yourself, especially as you're evaluating if some of the relationships in your life may not be the healthiest for you and making decisions based on that. I think that's fabulous. I think it's an underplayed tool that can give us really incredible information, especially if we get good at what does anger feel like? What does sadness feel like? What does happiness feel like when we start to identify where it shows up physically? And for each of us, it's going to be different. But as we learn those feelings, I think if we start to like tune in to when we're feeling something, where are we also feeling it in our bodies, then we can then 
understand better when we're feeling that in the relationships with other people and then use that as valuable information. So I love this is a great tip. I also used it when I was dating again after my divorce, and I found it extremely helpful for that. Mm -hmm. And I don't know where I'd read it or if I'd heard a creator or influencer say something like that, but they talked about how butterflies in the stomach was a dysregulated nervous system, which is I don't know if there's any science to back that or any true. But I did I did find myself seeing that, that the people I felt were a little dangerous or risky, uh, I would feel butterflies versus like, for example, when I went on the first date with my now husband, I, I really I really I was a little nervous, but it wasn't overwhelming. And I just really felt comfortable around him. And that was a completely different experience for me that he really didn't have. There was nothing dangerous or unsafe about him, even from that very first meeting. And I think that's a good way to sort of check in and be just be aware. Sometimes, you know, we hear like, do you have butterflies? You're supposed to have butterflies because that means chemistry. My chemistry was was toxic, abusive assholes. So I can't really base my butterflies (laughs) on something healthy. You know, so doing those check ins to see to see a little different. Exactly. I love it. It's great. Are you currently or have you previously been in what we've discussed as a toxic relationship? And what do you think about doing a check in and with your body the next time you want to evaluate if someone is safe or not? You can let us know by emailing us at hello at breaking free with If you haven't yet, make sure you follow or subscribe, write us a review. And if you know someone you would benefit from this episode, make sure to share it with them. If you're not following us on social media yet, you can check me out at tara.relationshipcoach and carrie at carrie McAvoy PhD. We will see you back here next Monday where we'll be talking about the signs of a trauma bond.